You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Hello and welcome to the Browns Blitz. Today is Tuesday, August 18th, and this is episode number 64. I'm your host, Rod Bloom. Joining me today is my brother, Jeff Bloom. Jeff, how are things going for you? Good, Rod. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty good. Uh, we also have with us uh, Peter Jones. Peter, how are things going for you? Yeah, I'm doing, re- I'm doing really good, Rod. How are you? Good. Uh, it's um, been a little while since we've talked, and this is actually the first time we've had both of you guys on together. So, uh, so it's pretty cool to to, to um, have you guys get to talk to each other. You guys have interacted a lot on Twitter and stuff. So, uh, so it, I'm looking forward to you know to kind of letting you guys interact and and seeing how things seeing how. Uh, things go here and uh, what we can get into in conversation. So um, let's let's kick it off by talking about our Blitz beverages. Jeff, are you drinking something now? Well, yeah, I, I went and grabbed a, um, what I'll call a yuppie beer. Um, and this was purely a label purchase when I, when I grabbed some at the grocery store. Uh, it's a Goose Island IPA. Uh, 5.9% alcohol. Um, I know how you feel about IPAs, Rod. This is a pretty um, generic IPA as, as, as Goose Island goes. Um, what, what's, it, what's the actual name of it, though? Is that the one that has a number? And, and no, it's just, it's just Goose Island IPA. So it's a green label. Okay. Um, I yeah, I don't see any other any other distinguishing. I've, I've had Goose Island before. I, yeah, I would think they would have a name on it, but yeah, maybe it uh, was. Yeah. Anyways, it's um, probably what was on sale. You know, because I, I don't buy expensive beer. You know me better than that. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, anyway, I mean, it, you know, I like IPAs. I, you know, I know they're not your favorite, but um, for me, you know sitting down and having the first beer of the day. I, I enjoy an IPA. I like the weediness of it and so forth. Um, this one is, I mean, it's okay. Um, I guess if I had to describe it, I would say, you know, it's kind of like um, a sweater from Kohl's. You know, I mean, it's it's going to keep you warm, but there's really just, you know, nothing special about it, and it feels a little bit commercialized um, mm-hmm. versus, you know, some – uh, some more uh, complex, um, you know, um, local beer, you know, um, microbrew something, you know. Um, so anyway, that's that's what I thought I'd start out with, and then I've got my my regular standby, um, the uh, Mick Ultra, ready to go when this one's done. Okay, yeah, I'm looking I'm looking it up, and they do just call it IPA. And you pale ale. Okay. I, 
No, I think I've had like the the three twelve, and you know, and maybe a couple other uh, beers from Goose Island. But, um, but yeah, I assume they all had individual names. But um, you know, hey, I guess you just if it's an IPA, it's an IPA. So you just well, kind of go yeah. with it. I figured, you know, Goose Island is is better known probably for um, vodka, right? Um, and it's kind of like the trendy vodka that, you know, the um, people at the bars want to drink. So I thought maybe this would make me feel a little bit more important, you know, drinking this thing. I, okay. And how do you feel? <laughs> do you feel more important? Well, it didn't work. It didn't work. So it didn't work. <laughs> It's a beer. It's a beer. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Peter, you're not drinking alcohol, but you have something you're drinking. Would you like to describe that for us? Yeah, it's uh, it's what my wife would call a frou-frou drink, Rod. It's uh, it's um, it's water, but it's flavored water. It's orange and peach, low sugar, natural flavored water. It sounds pretty um, good. It's 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 not it, it's it's not bad actually. So it's the the weather here has been has been particularly unseasonably hot. So been going through water like like there's no tomorrow. So I've got I've got the lineup of all different types of water, and it just happens to be this orange and peach one tonight. And it's it's not bad. It's not as water goes. I'm I'm not really a great a great water drinker. Um, you know me. It's normally it's normally some some coffee drink that I've that I've got, but but yeah, it's the it's as water goes, it's it it's not bad. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm kind of a, a citrus and peach kind of guy. So uh, you know, when I'm not drinking beer, so uh, where where fruits are concerned, those are two of my favorites. So good choice. Uh, I am drinking I'm drinking a a pint of Honey Brown, guys, and I tweeted this out before before we started, and I guess a lot of people haven't seen this beer in quite a while. That's kind of the reaction I got. Uh, I looked it up because there's not much information on the can. It's it's only it's only 4.5 percent, which which is probably good since I'm drinking a pint. But um, this this is another one of those beers that I remember having this a long time ago and thinking it had kind of a harsh taste to it. Well, I guess I must have really been into drinking very light beers at the time because <laughs> it tastes pretty smooth and pretty light to me right now. So I think I've had that experience with other beers that I've gone back to. It's a pretty good beer, guys. Um, if you just want to drink, uh, you know, something low-key, and it you know obviously it's only 4.5 percent so um it's a good beer i guess if you can find it <laughs> <laughs> so um all right that that's gonna do it a pretty solid segment on the blitz beverages uh, <laughs> uh training camp is going um there there's uh other than the fact that uh, mac wilson got carted carted off today and he's being evaluated he has a knee injury but they're kind of looking at it i don't think there's really a ton of information out yet you know that obviously they're going to be cautious with with anybody who goes down now you know to make sure that they're um, you know not not pushing it because they want them ready for games 
So we've got Mac Wilson, we've got uh, Nick Chubb in concussion protocol because of Mac Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then the word is that, you know, the, the defense is ahead of the offense, which is pretty much always the case, uh, you know, when, when, when things start out. So uh, what else, uh, have you heard anything else, Jeff, or any, anything else you feel is pertinent about training camp right now? Not a thing. It's been, been really quiet. Yeah. We appreciate your preparation uh, for the podcast, though. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. Well, at least I got a beer out of the fridge. Oh, that was that was thoughtful. Yeah. Right. Right. Now, right. There, there's there's just really not a lot going on. I mean, um, you know, we really don't want to hear about injuries. I mean, that's really not what we want to talk about. Um, you know. Yeah. The, the only one that I'd seen was the the, the surgery that J.C. Tretter had undergone. Um, uh, a small procedure on his knee. I think it was reported as two or three days ago. Um, but 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 they fully expect him to be ready to go in in week one. Um, okay. But I guess the only other thing I would throw out there is that um, David and Joku still looks like David and Joku. Um, you know. Yeah. Um, so much for being a team guy and wanting to take take on the challenge. You still have to catch the damn ball, David. Right. Uh, doesn't really matter how ready you are, you know, what you look like coming into camp. You have to catch the football. Or you're not right. going to get targets. Right. Uh, yeah, it, it's a problem. Uh, it's a problem. He's, he's not going to get playing time. Uh, he's going to play himself, you know, uh, he's going to play himself into – being the number three tight end eventually is what's going to happen pretty quick i think yeah very very quickly they're not going to put up with guys who can't catch the ball there's too many guys on the team who who can catch the ball. well Actually. i think yeah i think i think that's the thing with with, with hooper and bryant and and, and the wide outs you know there, there aren't going to be enough balls to go around for those guys that, that don't catch that's true yeah yeah and and we're not even you know, that's not even talking about Kareem Hunt, who's probably going to get, uh, you know, his fair share of targets, too. I would guess. <laughs> well, no, absolutely. I mean, you you got you got to believe that 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 he's going to spend a fair amount of the season, you know, split out as almost the third wide receiver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Peter, let, let me get your thought on this because you talked about it on really on probably on the last two podcasts. But give me your ranking for for the Browns, um, the top one, two, three, the top four or five guys in targets, the order, um, most targets on down. Who you think will get? the most targets, uh, you know, just the top four yeah. guys. Yeah. So, so, so I, I would imagine Landry, OBJ, um, Austin Hooper, and then, and then probably, probably Kareem Hunt after that. And, and, and maybe even Harrison Bryant after that. Yeah. I, I think that, I, I, I think that Hunt will catch more balls than the th- than the third wide receiver, whoever that turns out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just I just think that when you, when you look at when you look at Landry and you look at Odell Beckham, and then you look at 
Austin Hooper and the number of balls that he that he has caught in his career. <laughs> you know, there aren't enough balls to go round beyond those three and probably one other, which I which I think is Kareem Hunt because I, I I think they come out with with two backs a lot, but end up splitting Hunt out wide half the time. To tr- you know, it's it's about it's about creating creating matchup difficulties, isn't it? And and you know yeah. and. You know the other team covering him with a with a with a third corner, or they're covering him with a with a safety. You know, because he's capable of killing them out there. And um, so yeah, Rod, I, I think I think the two starting wideouts, Austin Hooper, and then probably Kareem Hunt, probably probably fourth in terms of targets, I would imagine. Yeah, I I agree with you. That's exactly. I think that that's exactly the way I put it. And I think. The targets that are left, yeah, I mean, it's whoever your number three wide receiver is. Um, let's, let's say Hollywood Higgins, but, it, you know, whether it's him or not, we don't know. So you have Higgins, you have you have Njoku and Bryant, uh, you know, and then, then whoever's left, you know, Nick, Nick Chubb will get a, a, a few targets. Um, you know, your fullback's going to get a few, but uh, it's, it's not going to be a lot. It's just really it, not going to be a lot. It, uh, it 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 can't be, and and you know it. That's a scary looking offense. You know when you when you look at that as a as the passing offense, and then and then you look at you look at, at Chubb. Who knows how many rushing yards he's gonna gonna have? You know, I don't know, twelve hundred, thirteen hundred, fifteen hundred. I don't know. Provide you know, providing there's a sixteen game season, and and you think this is a this is an offense. From the outside looking in, this is an offense that ought to scare everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, it should. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it's I mean, strange, and, and and you might, as Browns fans, you might might this might sound a little bit odd, um, but I think half the league overlooks, or at least half the league's fans overlook Jarvis Landry. And I know that's, and I know that probably sounds really odd, and you look at. You know the number of receptions at this point in his career is is the most in NFL history for a player this far into into his career. But I think I think lots of certainly lots of fans overlook how good that guy is. Yeah, there's there were a lot of people when Jarvis came to Cleveland that were not that excited about him because of his his average you know his his uh, yards per catch. You know, it was around nine or ten, and guys were like, "Oh, you know, you know, what good's that do us?" And and this and that. But he's shown that he can do pretty much anything. You know, he's not just a guy who can play in the slot. He can he can play. You know, I think he can play pretty much any any receiver position and and help the team out. Do pretty much whatever you're asking. I, I think so, and then and then as I said, you match it with the guys that we've talked we've we've talked about. You know, you, you're not you're not looking for a whole bunch of guys that are all the same. You know, so I, I it's it's just it's from the outside looking in, it's just scary. It's that it's just a scary looking offense. Yeah, you were you were a fan of Harrison Bryant coming out, right? Yeah. What as a, as what a, as, as a pass what? receiver. Yeah, especially in this offense, what do you think a what do you think a reasonably good season would look like for him in his rookie year? I mean, with all things taken into account, you know, the fact that he's 
probably going to be fighting for targets. Probably not going to get a lot of them. Well, and, and I think I think that's the I think that's the that's the thing. I, I think that that assuming assuming all of those other players stay, you know, free 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 of in, injury, mm-hmm. then then you know, I'd, I'd I'd be surprised if he caught more than twenty twenty five passes. Because I just don't think there's, I just don't think there's enough there's enough balls to go around, Rod. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when we were talking about David Njoku, I, I don't think it's going to be that hard for Harrison Bryant to leapfrog over Njoku as, as an as a passing, you know, as a as an option in the passing game. I th- I think no. it can happen. I mean, and Njoku, they're just not going to put up with drops. So I think that'll get him, but I don't think by leapfrogging Njoku, that's not going to get him a ton of targets because I, I think Njoku's in that same area where if he gets 20 or 25 yeah. targets this season, he's he's fortunate. Do either of you guys think that Bryant could be a factor um, depending on matchups as a as the, the third wideout, as sort of a, a guy with some height and... Um, Length that you know that could create some matchup issues. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I think so. I think he could definitely. I just I mean, wonder if, if that you know, I mean, if that's a place that he could find some reps. You talking red zone or just in general? Just playing third, the third wide out, just lining well, up. I mean. As a uh, definitely, I would say definitely red zone from a matchup perspective. Um, but I, I just, you know, I think he kind of was viewed earlier in his career, if I'm not mistaken, as as sort of that in between guy who who could could be the the big wide out, not necessarily a a guy to stretch the field. Um, yeah. You know, but a but a big target possession guy. Oh, oh, I I I, th- I think without I think without question. You know, and I and I wouldn't be surprised to see them come out in, in, in you know, in two tight end in two tight end sort, um, sets, and you see, and you see Bryant split out. I w- right. Jeff, I, that would that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, this this, this is a guy that that caught you know went for over a thousand yards receiving, um, I think in his you know in his senior year last year, and I, as a as a as a receiver. You know, he's he's, yeah, absolutely. You know, you'd be thinking, who's my number three wide out? Could this guy do a similar job to that guy? And so certainly, you could line him up in line him up in the slot, and he'll catch lots of pass, lots of, you know, nine, ten, eleven, twelve yard passes without without question. Yeah, I mean, in this offense, I I think the speed guys are going to be less of a factor than the short yardage possession guys. Wouldn't you guys agree? I, I think it, I think that's the, I think that's the vision for this offense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This offense isn't about stretching the field all the time. Correct. Right. right. So guys like people's Jones and, and Higgins are, are, you know, I don't think, you know, the necessarily the offense is going to revolve around their their role as the third wideout. I think you're going to see some combination of Kareem Hunt and 
and a tight end um, as the number three receiver. And when it's all said and done, you know, at the end of the year, who had the most receptions? Yeah, I, uh, I just, I don't really feel like there's anybody who, who's going to take hold of that third wide receiver position. I mean, unless it is Higgins because of his relationship with Baker, you know, and if those two really hit it off to where they're, you know, to where things are really working well, then, then, then you end up going to that set more often. But I mean, Higgins, they have him signed to a one-year deal. Uh, you know, they're, they're not really looking down the road with Higgins. I think they're seeing what, you know, they're looking at what's happening this, this season. Uh, Peoples Jones, um, I don't know if they, how many, I don't know how many, uh, how many reps the guy's going to get this year on offense. Right. I just right. don't know. I mean, he, I think he's a, a two-year project. If they decide they like what they see and practice from him mm. and, the other guys, Ratley and and uh, Hodge. I mean, Hodge is a special teams guy who, if he's playing well, they'll they'll stick him out there occasionally as a third wide receiver. But uh, Ratley, I mean, both those guys are you know nice big targets, but they're you know they're they're guys who have been here for a couple of years. You don't know if they're going to be looked at as a guy who's gonna who's who's going to be really. Um, you know, in the competition to be that number three guy or not. I just don't, I just don't know. So I, I think it's going to be hard to really take a lot of reps away from Kareem Hunt. Um, not, I shouldn't say reps. I should say uh, targets. Right. There. Yeah. I, th- I think it's one of those situations where, you know, quite un- unusually where, where, you know, the number three receipt, it's just difficult to imagine the number three pure wide out is going to, it's going to get a lot of targets when you, when you, when you think of the guys that we've, we've just talked about. And I, I, I just, I think Jeff's point about, about, you know, splitting Brian out almost as a de facto third wide receiver, I think is a really good one. I think you can line Brian up in the slot as well. And then you've got Kareem Hunt who, you know, can come in and play obviously in the backfield, but you can split him out as well and I, and I think that the, almost with base-ish type personnel you know two backs and a, and a tight end or one back and two tight ends I think I think that you know you can create all kinds of matchup difficulties for for defenses right I agree um and, and I think that's where uh, the strength to me, you know, of, of the passing game for the Browns, that's to, that's to me where it it looks to be at is about that creating all of those all of those matchup difficulties. I, I just don't see how how defenses are going to work out who should be covering who, and I think that that's you know it's a really positive thing for the for for, for the Browns for sure. Yeah. So a lot of people have been talking about. Baker Mayfield and some people are of the opinion that you know this is this is the make or break season we have to see Baker doing well and we've talked about already how how the people who think that Baker has to do well in the first three games or or he's going to be sitting on the bench or or have pretty much lost their marbles um (laughs) (laughs) uh, I think I think 
Baker gets this whole season and and really should get this season and, and should be starting next season unless he really just looks like he doesn't know how to play football. So based on that, uh, Peter, you have been uh, looking at some numbers for uh, previous quarterbacks who who were taken first overall and what they did in their first couple seasons. So we're gonna we're gonna dive into that. So I'm going to I'm going to hand you the floor or virtually do so and, <laughs> and kind of let you let you take over here. Yeah, thanks, Rod. I, I mean the the point the point you raise. I, I think that. I think that when you when you draft a, a quarterback number one, and it, and he has, you know, a good rookie season, which 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 Baker did a couple of years back, I think you have to, however difficult it is, I think you have to be all in on that guy for 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 three or for three or four years, and and I, and I know that can be that can be difficult, and you have to live with some, you know, you have to live with some in, interceptions, you have to live with some. What, you know what may look like not 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 great plays. My my issue has always been with teams that give up on that on that guy too too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we looked at so what I did I I just took a look at all of the quarterbacks that have been drafted number one overall since the merger. So since 1970, um, and um, yeah, including uh, Joe Burrow this this past draft. So there's been 25 of them in 50, in 50 drafts. So in the 50, in the 50 years, 50 drafts up to and including 1970, um, half of the overall number one picks have been, a, have been a quarterback. Now, That's quite, interesting in and of itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> now quite surprisingly, and I, and I know that, you know, some of these guys will have been taken recently, like, like Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and stuff. So obviously not eligible for the hall of fame, but quite surprisingly, only three of those have made it to the hall of fame. Um, Terry Bradshaw, John Elway and Troy Aikman. Um, there will obviously be a fourth that's Peyton Manning. Um, but four out of 25 is not a percentage you would probably expect. I would have expected you know, without giving it a lot of thought, that it would be slightly higher than that. Um, and and I guess part part of the issue is, and this this is the thing that we tend tend to forget. Um, you know, barring a team trading up to that number one pick, all of these guys are, are generally speaking, being picked by bad teams. Yeah. Um, they've got to be pretty bad to have the overall number one pick. You know, and I, and I know there's some exceptions. And free agency now can make more of a difference, but there's a reason why those teams are picking number one. Um, and and so generally speaking, you know, it, it's it takes a while for those teams that have picked a quarterback number one to, if you like, move out of the move out of the move out of the doldrums. And so I looked at I was going to look at individual statistics, but the problem with those, generally speaking, is that. Yeah, it's very difficult to compare individual statistics in 2020 as compared to 1970, mm-hmm. when the league was a completely different league playing under different rules. Yeah, and we've talked about this in the past, Rod, with passer ratings and all of that stuff, how, how those have changed significantly right. o- o- over the years. Um, but if you look at the, the winning percentages of, of teams, and this is, this is quite interesting, so... so 
Baker Mayfield's winning percentage in the two years that he's been starting, and I, and I, and I accept that that's a team stat, uh, um, but his winning percentage in the two years that he's been starting is is just over 41%. The average of all of those 25 quarterbacks that have gone number one in that period is a little over 41% in, in their first two seasons. So he's right spot on, almost where you would expect him to be. Um, now, when you get to the third year, it moves up to to um, an average of, and I've lost lost the number now. Um, just over, it's just over 53 percent. So for Baker for for Baker to to keep that average, the Browns would. He'd need to if he started all sixteen games. The Browns would need to go nine and seven for him to pretty much be the same as the average of the twenty-five taken over that period. Hmm. So it, I think, immediately when I looked at those numbers, it's it's it said to be actually what's what's happening here is is that there isn't a huge leap. You know, when 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 a quarterback goes number one, there isn't a huge leap in his first year or in his second year, or even in the third year for, for any of those teams that have taken um, that quarterback. The other thing I then went and did was looked at, well, when did any of these teams make the Super Bowl or win or win Super Bowls? Because that's ultimately what what we want from that from that guy. So no, none of them until until Jared Goff in 2016, who was drafted in 2016. So the, the other 24, none of them have actually been to a Super Bowl until their fourth season. Hmm. Um, and, you know, a number of those lost lost that Super Bowl. But guys like John Elway made it in his fourth season, but didn't win one until his 15th season. <laughs> Even, you know, Terry Bradshaw with that great Steelers team, they didn't make it to the Super Bowl till his fifth season. Um... Yeah, even Peyton Manning was his ninth season before he made it to the Super Bowl. So, although we set, you know, we set the expectations quite, quite high, and I think that you know Baker's rookie season kind of raised some expectations, um, and probably overraised them in some people in some people's minds. I think I think if you get a progression, uh, nine and seven, a ten and six, I think you're then looking to going deep into the playoffs in. In his fourth in his fourth season, and I, and I know people would want to get there quicker, but that's kind of you know that history history shows us that that's not kind of been the case over the last twenty five years or last last fifty years. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, even if you look at things like things like Pro Bowl, you know, Pro Bowl appearances. You know, Terry Bradshaw didn't go to the Pro Bowl until his sixth year. Um, John Elway's fourth year. Um, Troy Aikman his third year. Um, who else we got here? Eli Manning is fifth year. Alex Smith is eighth year. Matthew Stafford is sixth year. So, so yeah, even even that individual recognition for the for the Pro Bowl, and I know it's easier to get to the Pro Bowl now, and there's all kinds of questions and stuff about how how players are chosen and and and, and, and all of that, which is a whole whole different discussion. I, I think it all, it okay. still shows that. You know, this is not a shoe in when you take a guy number one that he's suddenly going to turn the team around. Um, this is a project. This is about 
you know, progression. Um, and, and, and I think that, you know, that fourth, that fourth year or so seems to be the year that almost ought to determine whether this is a guy that you can continue to move forward with for the next, you know, eight, 10, 12 years after that, or whether if you're not seeing something very significant through four years, possibly five years, you're probably not likely to see it. Yeah, so so it would be pretty typical for for people in Cleveland to want to judge a number one uh, pick after two seasons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and and I think and I think probably to be fair, I think I think, but I think most of us most of us would we 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 want <laughs> we want our guy to be to be the guy, you know, we want him to be the yeah. one that suddenly turns the 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 franchise the franchise around um but you know by definition and as as i said it's slightly different now in the era of of a free agency but by definition these guys are typically going to a team that for whatever reason even if it's got good players doesn't know how to win that's why they've got the number one pick um and so it ta- it takes time it takes time to either get the good players around them or to change the culture of an organization because there's because there's little doubt that organizations have a culture of losing or winning or somewhere in between but those those organizations with that losing culture need to have a real turnaround to cha- to change it I'll take a short break to tell you about our sponsor Skipping Stones they're on etsy.com and now on goimagine.com who just went public after their beta testing GoImagine.com donates 100% of their profits to charity. So give them a try. Check out Skippin' Stones, S-K-I-P-P-I-N-S-T-O-N-E-Z at GoImagine.com for seasonal jewelry and gift ideas, pebble art, frame poetry, sports plaques, um, new inventory all the time. Check it out. And now back to the show. Yeah, and I, I understand the fans. I really do. I think it's a I think it's really a mixture of the impatience that the fans have because the fans of Cleveland really feel like like they've paid their dues. Like it's their turn. It's their turn now. Okay. We should be winning now because we have had so many bad seasons. Uh, we deserve a winning season right now. It's a mixture of that and the fact that you know, we, we took a number one quarterback and, and, you know, sure, he was good his first season, but he wasn't real good last season. So uh-huh. maybe he's just another one of these 72 quarterbacks that we had, you know, on the jersey. And, and maybe we need somebody else. Maybe he's not the real thing. You know, maybe maybe it's time to move on. You know, people start really just overthinking it. And Baker's still a number one pick. OK, he was the number one pick for a reason. Uh, whether you think he should have been that number one guy or not, he was the number one guy. He was a first-round quarterback, and 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 he deserves the, the the Browns franchise deserves the four-year period to see what this guy can actually do. I I I would one hundred percent agree with that. You know, and I, and I would say that for 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 any for any team, I think that. Teams that have a record of um, 
not such a great record, let's put it like that, over a period of time, have typically been teams that have given up on their quarterbacks. And whilst individually that may have been the right decision for each one of those, constantly changing the quarterback and perhaps constantly changing the coach as well at the same time or similar um, time periods, you know, has not helped those teams win. So at some point yeah. you have to you have to you have to get a guy, and you have to ride you know ride with him, ride with the ups and downs, and give him that those three or those three or four years. Um, you know, and I could speak for although he wasn't obviously an overall number one pick. If and we've talked about this before, Rod. If you look at Brett Favre with the Packers, you know he spent his rookie season riding the bench in Atlanta as their third as their third choice quarterback third string quarterback came to the Packers was excellent in his rookie season but well, wasn't really his rookie season but his first season with the Packers was mm-hmm. first season playing was, yeah first season playing exactly was less than average in his second season um and you know was better in his third season um but it wasn't until his fourth season with the Packers that they won a division title you know, and then went to the Super Bowl the, the next year. So it took them, you know, it took them four years, you know, and that's a team that had signed Reggie White as a free agent. You know, Mike Holmgren was there as the head coach, et cetera, et cetera. It took them that period of time, um, you know, and, and Holmgren always said that, you know, that he was tied at the hip with Brett Favre. You know, he, he thought about benching Favre at times, you know, Mark Brunel was the backup quarterback in Green Bay, but, you know, he just decided that wherever Favre takes us, that's where we're going. And it may be to the Super Bowl or it may be to the dumpster in Holmgren's words, but they're going there together, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think sometimes you just, you know, that has to, that has to be the case. And I also think that, you know, obviously, with in in in, in Baker's case, and we don't know how this is going to turn out. You know, in three years from now, we may look back on this conversation and saying we should have given up on him. <laughs> you know, we should have given up on him, but we just don't know how that's going to turn out. But you know, in Baker's case, you know, having multiple offensive coordinators and multiple head coaches in two or three seasons is not helpful. Not helpful at all. No, not at all. Um. Not at all. And it, I mean, that, that's that's another thing is, is you know, I, I've talked about the fact that, um, you know, this constant turnover that that you can't win and pe- people come back. Well, well, which coach should we have kept? I'm like sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes just keeping a coach, you know, even if he's not great. You know, and I'm not going to name anybody. You know, sometimes just just allowing your organization to build some stability, whether it's through keeping a a couple players or a coach for even a short period of time, you know, it, it might do something for the team. Okay, if the guy's totally wrong, there's no reason to keep him. Okay, but if you go back and look at the Browns, I think there are some regimes and some coaches that that were let go that probably didn't have to be let go. Yeah. And, and I, I think that, I think that's probably a pattern that applies with, you know, with lots of teams that have struggled over, over a, over a period of time, 
Um, you know, I'm sure that the Lions fans are probably thinking the same thing. You know, the Lions have been through, I don't know how many head coaches over the past, you know, gener- generation or so. It's a lot. Um, it's 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 it 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 it's a lot, and and they and they have a quarterback, and they have and and, and they have a they have a quarterback, and you know the the just as an aside, the funny thing for me about the Lions is that is that the Houston Oilers have won a division more recently than the Lions, yeah. <laughs> which 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 about which about says ill, but I, I it, it's a it's a really difficult one. I I I just think that. I think you have to give a guy when you've invested in a guy as the overall number one pick I think that history shows that you have to give that guy three or four three or four years Um, the ones that have been successful uh, you know have had that have had that period of have had that period of time Um, you know Troy Aikman for example was 0-11 as a starter in his first year it would have been very. It would have been very easy for the Cowboys to have given up on Aikman, especially as they also drafted Steve Walsh with the overall number one pick in the supplemental draft in the same year. Uh-huh. It had been very easy for for the Cowboys to have given up on him, but I think once they'd got into the mindset that he was our guy, then you know he he was he was he was the guy, and what they did was build a great team around him, like the Steelers with did with Terry Bradshaw. Um, so I think that, you know, it's again, from the, from the outside looking in, I think it's obviously a very important season for, for Baker coming up. I think that that third season really is, really is important, but I would be shocked if he's not the starting quarterback in, in week one of 2021. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and to a degree, it's, it's even more difficult this year with you know with Stefanski coming in, wanting to put his own offensive system in place, in a in a year that's been as badly affected as it you know as this one has, um, it makes it even it makes it even more difficult. I agree. Yeah, not not an easy year to to implement changes, and and yeah, not not. Uh, not really a fair year to expect anybody to to step up and break out with, with all that's going on, but you know we'll see what we'll see what happens. Um, you know, uh, there's definitely some things in Baker's favor, so so hopefully he's ready and hopefully we'll see some good things. Uh, Jeff, you've been sitting there drinking your beer, listening. So <laughs> I uh, you know definitely want to get your thoughts and you know, on all this. and uh, Well, my, my first thought is, is I'm, I'm glad that Goose Island IPA is gone and I've <laughs> moved on to my standard Michelob Ultra. And if we keep talking about Baker Mayfield much longer, I might have to drink four or five of these. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, Rod, you know, the tendency is with with these kinds of conversations to be all in or all out. Um, yeah. I, I'm not either one. Okay. Um, but I do need to be something of a devil's advocate here. Um, that, you know, just because a guy is taken first overall and just because of all of these other 
things that you've mentioned, and, and they're all valid points. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think with a new coaching staff, a new front office, um, and, and the need to uh, build some continuity and, and some um, change, the changing of the culture, um, I think everybody has to earn a job on this team. Um, Baker, obviously, I, I'm not disagreeing with the fact that if he does everything he's supposed to do this year, he's your starting quarterback in 2021. That's without question. Um, and I'm not even going to address the op, op, the idea of you know there being an injury or anything like that. Based strictly on performance, though, if if there is a, an issue that persists um, at some point in the schedule, in my mind, um, I believe that this coaching staff would be foolish to continue to try to develop a number one pick from a previous regime at the expense of wins because, and here's the important part, if we don't get enough wins, our coaching staff doesn't get to stay on board for another couple of years. And to me, that is the most important thing. We have to have a commitment to a philosophy to a front office, to a coaching staff, to an offense, to a defense. We have to have a commitment to something. And if we have players that, that can't get it done in that philosophy, we have to do what it takes to, do, to, to get some wins. Wins, to me, right now are more critical than player development. At just looking at where this roster is, um, where we sit historically, uh, what we've come through, Again, it's not a knock on Baker. I'm saying if, if he gets it done, terrific. I'm, I'm all on board. Um, but if for some reason he's struggling and, and we see bad Baker, like we saw so often last year, okay, and it's costing us games, um, there's a reason that you have a very qualified backup quarterback who's making $8 million. And it's not to be you know, a quarterback controversy in training camp. I believe he's there to give us wins if it's the result of an injury or if it's a result of poor performance. That's his job. That's why he's on the roster. So I'm not a Baker hater, even though I've, I'm clearly on the record of, you know, I didn't think he was the right guy to take number one overall. Fine. Um, he's my quarterback. He's my, my team's franchise guy. And I want to see him be successful. We all want to see him be successful. Okay. But I think there's a middle ground here between, um, you know, we're just going to give Baker the ball every game or, you know, we're going to cut Baker next week. And I, I, get, I, I get tired of having those kinds of conversations because it's not an all or nothing. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would 100% agree with that, Jeff. And I, I, that's generally my philosophy with, with football full stop. Is that is that is that with most with most things there's there there is there is a middle ground. It's it's not it's not all bad and it's not all good. It's generally somewhere somewhere in the in the middle of the two. So yeah, I I would I would uh, you know 100% agree with that. I just wanted to throw other, one other thing out, Peter. 
Yeah. Um, you started in 1970, which I thought was great. Um, and as I was just sitting here listening to you, I, I kind of went back through um, the um, the draft history. And prior to 1970, there was only one first overall pick quarterback who made it to the Hall of Fame. That was Joe Namath. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and and, and you know, as much as as much as anything else, I you know, and, and and I guess I could have you know I could have looked at, at all first round quarterbacks or, or 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 whatever. It just it just seemed like a a good thing to look at just as because Baker went number one. Let's just look at all the other number ones as it right as as, as it were. And you know, and I and I, it surprised it surprised me. It's the you know, um, it surprised me that the not more of them were more successful. Um, I would agree. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't. <laughs> I, I think the lesson is that it, that it does take some time to develop a quarterback, even if he's taken first overall. Yeah, I think, I think that, I think that's, that's, that's absolutely right. I think probably the difficulty we have right now is that we've seen guys in recent years you know, I mentioned Jared Goff. You know, went to the Super Bowl in his third year, and and I know the Rams spent a lot. They spent a lot of money in free agency and stuff and stuff. So it's not all on on Goff. But I guess in recent years we've seen quarterbacks be more successful more quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, Pat, Patrick Mahomes and what and what have you. Um, so I guess that kind of also doesn't typically help fans' impatience, if you like. Yeah, you know, maybe it's maybe it's not even developing the quarterback so much. Maybe it's the ability to build around a quarterback, and and maybe that's a little bit easier now than it used to be. Well, and I, yeah, I agree. I think that goes to my point of putting a guy in a position to win via continuity, um, you know, and, and having those other pieces in place. Um, you know, for every um, Peyton Manning there's a whole bunch of Jameis Winstons, you know, <laughs> yep. that, yep. right. That, that, that yep. just looked like they were great. And, and we've, we've, you know, we know that the draft is an inexact science uh, and that sure. you fail more than you, than you hit. Um, so yeah, I think you have to have a commitment to your, your franchise quarterback. You have to build around him. You have to, um, put those pieces in place, but at some point he has to deliver too. And I think now there, there really shouldn't be any more excuses. And if, if Baker can deliver terrific, then, then we know we've got our guy going forward. But here's my problem with the whole thing is go back to that quarterback Jersey. Okay. We have Baker. He wasn't great last season. He still threw 20 touchdown passes. Okay. People want to look at the INTs, but half of those were balls that, that maybe not half, but three, four, five of them were balls that went right off receiver's hands, you know, and, and uh, just strange plays that went right into the to, uh, a defensive back's hands for, for an interception. Okay. So his interceptions were slightly inflated because of some of those plays. Okay, and I'm not trying to make ex- excuses. I'm trying to look at his season realistically because he played poorly, in, you know, at times, definitely. He looked very uncomfortable at times. He still made quite a few plays, okay? He still looked decent uh, for, for a good part of the season. 
and he still put up 20 touchdown passes. Um, which of those which of those guys that the Browns have have gotten rid of, you know, over the past 20 years, do you want back in place of Baker to get us back into that cycle again? Because I don't. I don't. Want I know that that's, that's part of the problem. And no, and, and the, the, should... the reality is, is we haven't had a quarterback controversy in this town in, in many, many, many years. There has not been a quarterback, a legitimate quarterback controversy. OK, we manufacture them, but right. there's never been a legitimate quarterback controversy where we had to choose between two proven NFL quarterbacks. Okay. Right. And, so and that's, I, again, that's really not what this is about, right? It's not about saying in training camp, we're going to decide who our number one quarterback is. Where do you know Baker's our number one quarterback? For me, that's not a question. Okay. The, the issue is, are we going to see good Baker more than we see bad Baker? And we all know what that means. Okay. You, you can, Jeff, you can, you're not you can point one or the other. You, you might see a little bit of both. Okay. And, and the problem is, if Baker comes out and throws a couple of picks week one, do you want everybody screaming to bench him? Well, look, that, that's going to happen. That's a given because you live in Cleveland. Okay. But from a coaching staff perspective, okay, I, and that's, that's all I care about. All I care about is the, the coaching staff in the front office and, and what their long-term plan is. Okay. Um, if, if we see more of bad Baker – then we see a good Baker and it translates into six and 10. Okay. And you can, again, blame six and 10 on whoever you want to. Okay. But if it turns into another six and 10, then we have to fight this forest fire of, okay, who's going to be our next head coach? Who's going to be our next general manager? Because these guys obviously blew it. Okay. You have to weigh the value of wins. I don't know that we do though. Because, you know, well, if you're we, worried we, about people screaming for Baker's head, you have to be just as worried about people screaming for Stefanski's head and, and the front office. It, it, you can't have it both ways. If you're if you're going re- to be reactionary that, to yeah, the I think fans, the guys in the building know or, or probably know where things stand. OK, Um I, I think if, if uh, you know, if this is an all-in season, I would like to think that Stefanski knows that uh, going in, you know, that he's fighting for his job. He's got one season. And, and in that case, sure, I understand that he pulls Baker after three games of Baker's throwing four interceptions. Um, you know, that's totally stupid because then you're, you're, you're trying, you know, you're, you're giving a coach one year again, which is dumb. Uh, but, but isn't that the NFL? How many coaches are long-term coaches in the NFL? One season's ridiculous. When you're trying to build something in a city that hasn't done anything in, in forever, it, there, there's fans in Cleveland that, that don't even know what a playoff game is. Right. So when you're trying to build something, you can't keep doing this one season at a time thing. It's just... It's just stupid. If you have any faith in Stefanski and Barry, you got to say, hey, guys, you guys have three years. You know, do the best you can with us. If you think Baker's the guy, play him this season. You know, you, you know, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to fire you guys if Baker does poorly. But if you think Baker's looking like crap, then pull him off the field and, you know, and put your back up in. And that's all I'm saying. So, so let me let me as, 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 an, as an outsider. Look at him. 
So let me ask you guys a question. So what do you think would be a, let's say, an acceptable record for the, for the Browns this season? A record that says um, head coaches done a half-decent job, Baker Mayfield's probably done a half-decent job, and we look forward to 2021. What's that, what's that, what's that record? Is it 9-7? and seven? Is it 8-8? Eight eight? I, don't, I don't know. Ten and six. I don't. I don't know. What are you? What are you guys? I think, think a five hundred record is, is acceptable. Honestly, I think I think anything close to a five hundred record with what this team has has been through recently, and and taking into effect into account uh, COVID, and and no preseason games and limited practices. If this team went seven and nine, I think I think you should be pretty happy. I understand the amount of talent, but it, it's it's tough to have all these changes and bring a team together and try to try to learn new systems and everything. So, you know, if, if they come close to a 500 record, I think people have to suck it up and say, hey, let's see what these guys can do with a real offseason and see what they can do next year. What do you think? I, I, I don't disagree with that, but I think it misses the point. Um, it's not how many you lose, it's how you lose them. Well... Well, sure, but how much weight are you going to put into a loss week one against a team who's been together for several seasons? We're not talking about week one. We're talking about as we go through the season, every week. We saw it last year. Every week, it compounds. And if you want to break the cycle, that's that's my point entirely. If you want to break the cycle which is fans losing confidence, okay? Today as we sit, confidence level in the coaching staff in the front office is pegged at 100. And that's the way we start every season. But as you go through each game and mistakes happen, um, games get lost and get lost ugly, that confidence level drops. And pretty soon we find ourselves back in that same cycle. Okay. So what I'm saying is, is I don't care who's out on the field. I want to see this team win enough that we keep that confidence level high enough that we don't have to have that conversation again at the end of the season. I think this We're team is, I think this team is more likely to lose bad games early because of how they're trying to come together and get thrown right on the field. I think you're right. I think you're right. Absolutely. So, 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 so if, you know, without looking at at the, at the, at the schedule, if, if they, um, let's say they're, so, 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 so Rod, where your head is roughly speaking, eight and eight would be okay. Um, I think it would be. I obviously yeah. as a fan, I want to see him go nine nah, and seven. Yeah, yeah. Nah, yeah, that that kind of area, and, and I guess that it would be more encouraging if 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 that eight and eight was delivered by perhaps having a slow start but finishing the season six and two in their last eight games or something like that, oh, because yeah. that sh- because that shows progress through the through the season rather than the opposite way round where you start strong and you, as Jeff kind of described, you kind of fall apart as the season goes on. Right. Well, that's the Eric, Eric Williams argument, right? I mean, he, he 
unified the team a couple of years ago. I mean, Greg Williams. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I said, too many beers. Um, (laughs) But um, Greg Williams unified the team supposedly. And, you know, we had a great finish to the season. And again, confidence was high at that point. So no one was, no one was calling for, you know, massive change at that point. You know, let's just fine tune it, put the right guy in. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got some good pieces in place. Okay. Um, if we get wins like that and, and it, and it shows that the team is at least moving in some sort of a positive direction, yeah. then it, it makes it that much easier the next season to build upon that. Okay. And, and whether it's Baker or anybody else on the team that's not delivering, I think, you have to place their development below the uh, importance of achieving that as an organization. It's just, it's this, this, this point in the franchise, it's just too delicate to look at it any other way. It's, it's just too important that we produce a winning environment so that we can break this cycle of constantly hitting the reset button. I understand, Jeff. I understand what you're saying and where your heart is and everything, but I still think that Baker, I think he's going to be given as many chances as I possibly can give him because of, not only because he's the number one pick, but because the talent they see in him. I don't disagree with that. And and we're not talking about, you know, right now we're talking about the length of the leash. Yeah. yeah you're you're that. saying his leash is longer than than I might be saying, but the, the bottom yeah, line is, is there needs to be a leash. Just like there is with every other player. Well, yeah, there's definitely a leash. I mean, I just I don't think that leash should be I don't think that leash should be tugged on this season. Okay, and and you do. I mean, it, it, you know, it's not really a big difference. That's all. Yeah, well, that's all. I understand. Yeah. So. No, we we can disagree on the length of the leash. That that's fine. But I, I think it, ultimately, for this team to to get to where we want it to be next year, um, that's why these guys are paid to make those kinds of decisions. Yeah, and you you know that that uh, Barry is going to do his best to always have people in camp to compete with these guys, whether it's quarterback or anybody else. He's, he's any, not going to yeah, let anybody sit any, around. Any general manager worth his salt is going to do that. That's right. That's right. Well, guys, this has been a, been a lot of fun. I think we're, uh, we're kind of up against it. I think we've kind of uh, uh, beat the, beat the horse to death. Topic to hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun though. Um, it, it, it has, and ho- hopefully we'll have some real football to talk about soon. I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Your mouth so, to his uh, ears. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, you guys can follow Peter at uh, Peter. Why don't you give your handle because I forget where the uh, where the underscores are. <laughs> I guess yeah, it's, it's everywhere, right? It's it's at the underscore it underscore hedgehog. Okay. And one of the all-time great Twitter names, by the way. <laughs> Definitely. And and Jeff, this is his first appearance since a triumphant return to Twitter. Follow him at 
disposer guru. Yeah, triumphant, but it remains to be seen how how long term. Yeah, you never know. And right. follow me at Cleerodby. And uh, yeah, this has been a lot of fun, guys. Um, we will we'll try to do this again. It was a pleasure, Peter. Uh, absolutely, my my pleasure to be here, and thank thank you both for having for having me on. It's been great. Thank you. Absolutely. This has been the Browns Blitz, and we will catch you next time. can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.